0: Another episode of the Rocky Mountain Mirek short takes on suicide prevention. I'm your host Dr. Nazi Brainy. Today I'm here with Dr. Ryan Holiday, a clinical research psychologist at the Rocky Mountain Mirek, and we'll be discussing a study that Dr. Holiday and his colleagues did looking at the connection between PTSD and suicide. So before we begin, Dr. Holiday, can you just give us a brief int- introduction about yourself and your background?
1: Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is Ryan, and I'm, as you said, Nazi I'm a clinical research psychologist out here at the Myrick, and I'm just really passionate in further understanding this intersection between stress and trauma and a lot of other life experiences that our veterans have, such as homelessness and justice involvement, and how that relates to mental health and suicide risk in terms of translating that into evidence-based practice. And just for our
0: listeners, Dr. Holiday and I have like worked together a lot on different projects so this interview might really seem a little bit more in- informal and more like a discussion which hopefully will be more interesting. Ryan that you mentioned is um, really your work really is focused on the intersection between stress and trauma and suicide. In this paper that we're going to be discussing today, you and your colleagues did a really detailed review of research studies over the last decade that have examined the relationship between suicide and post-traumatic stress disorder, when you guys really focused in on military and service members and veterans. Theoretically speaking, could you explain why there might be a relationship between PTSD and suicide, just for our listeners who might not be aware of this research?
1: Yeah, I think anytime that you introduce something into uh, kind of someone's life experience, whether it's stress or trauma, it can really impact you on so many different domains. It can impact you on the kind of more biological domain. You're having a lot more cortisol in your body which can make it harder for you to recover from things and suppress you, things along those lines. And then it can also affect you not just in terms of the symptoms you're having, but also interpersonally and systemically. We see a lot of avoidance. We see a lot of these individuals having uh, reduced social capital. A lot of times they find it harder to engage into relationships they have as well as make new ones. And we know that all these factors put together are often risk factors for suicidal self-directed violence. And so I think we're just trying to get a better portrait of what that's looking like amongst veterans and service members who have this high propensity for trauma exposure.
0: Okay. So before you and your colleagues undertook this, this study, what, what was understood about the relationship between PTSD and suicide? What did we know and what were you all trying to do that was either different or additive to what we already know?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Cause we know there's a lot of research out there and which kind of, uh, Uh, led us to to want to review this. And I think often we have a servicemen and women who are coming back and we know they've been through things and we don't often know how to explain how that results in subsequent mental health. And so there have been quite a few reviews that have attempted to understand this relationship, things that looked at things like trauma exposure, post-traumatic stress symptoms, as well as uh, specific symptom clusters and profiles as they relate to a more broad quote-unquote suicide risk. And I think what we are hoping to do to really enhance that is we knew that when you introduce trauma and stress into the equation, individuals were at greater risk. What we didn't know is when you analyze that together with a lot of factors, does it specifically increase risk for things like suicidal ideation as well as behaviors like attempt and suicide?
0: And when you say other factors, what do you mean by other factors?
1: And I think this kind of hits on one of the funky things with research, right? Is we, in our dream world, we want research to be really clean, right? We want it to be able to be just PTSD. PTSD is causing everything. And anyone who's ever um, worked with a veteran with PTSD or a military um, serviceman or or woman who has PTSD knows, yeah, those are more of the unicorns, right? Those are the individuals who solely have one trauma or a few traumas and just PTSD, Often there's myriad of factors going on. There's things like depression, substance use, as well as things that are a little more transdiagnostic that we often see, un- and underemployment, things such as, like I said, decreased engagement in social relationships, and so I think we were trying to see, okay, when we start to look at this more holistically, when we start to view this person as an actual person rather than just a singular diagnosis, what does this
0: look like? Wow, that's really helpful and that's really interesting. I think you make a really good point that research is really often trying to attempt to find a clear picture of what's usually a really messy sort of complex situation. And I really appreciate you saying that and also pointing out that there's so many other things that might be going on besides PTSD that might be contributing to suicide risk. And how can we try to get a better picture of that? So one of the questions that I have for you is just curiosity around why you chose to focus on uh, military and veterans only. Why not just focus on all types of PTSD?
1: And I think that's a great question. I think there's several reasons that motivated us. I think first and foremost, we're employees of the VA, right? We want to know more about the patients we're working with and their experiences. I also think that there's something very unique and germane to military service members and veterans that we often don't see. Having worked in both community-based settings as well as on VA, I think we, you see some different things happening. I think when we talk about trauma in in the community, obviously people can experience some of the same types of trauma, things like sexual violence that we often see is unfortunately pervasive amongst our military and veteran communities. However, there's this added element of a lot of the times this occurs within the context of individuals uh, being deployed or away from social support networks or systems they might have previously had or held. There's also this element of sometimes not being able to leave certain environments. You might be deployed and experience combat and you still have many more months there. And I think because of that, we have this added layer to the parfait that I don't know that we often see in other patient populations. So I think that kind of really uh, motivated us to look at this and and really understand what's going on with this portrait as even though there are overlaps in the Venn diagram, there's something fairly unique
0: to this patient population. Yeah, that's that's another great point. I also really appreciate what you said. I think a lot of people, when they think of service me- uh, members and veterans, they automatically think combat. That's the kind of only and main source of trauma, but I think you highlighted that service members and, and veterans can experience a range of different traumatic experiences that are not just specific to combat. I looked through the findings. I thought it was really interesting. You point out that there was a lot of research on this topic over the last decade. I think you all screened over about 2,000 articles, but you ended up including only 48 in the final review. Can you uh, tell us just a little bit about how you decided to which ones you decided to include in your review and how you decided that, and maybe an example of one that you included versus one that you didn't include?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think for the most part, a huge portion of those were were removed fairly quickly and easily. And I have to give major props to a lot of my co-authors, and in particular, Adam Hofberg and, and Kelly stearns Yoder were completely awesome in helping me navigate this. Who have done a ton of reviews in this domain. But I think the the first thing is we obviously wanted to trim the things that would make it more consistent with other systematic reviews and meta-analyses. So things like we wanted to only include peer-reviewed research. Um, The article had to be in English, and that was less to discriminate against non-English articles. It was more that we just didn't have anyone on the study team who could fully interpret that. And so obviously a hope is that we expand that in in future years, which I know a lot of journals are attempting to translate into multiple languages as well as remove duplicates um, or abstracts where we might not have any information um, as it might be something that was presented at a conference as a poster and, and never fully published. And then from there it really went into actually removing articles that didn't meet our inclusion criteria. So one of the big things that we wanted to make sure in this review um, to build upon prior work was to look at uh, the concept of diagnosis of PTSD rather than uh, PTSD symptoms because very often we, we utilize a symptom screening measures like the PCL, which is a great measure, I use it all the time, and it's also not um, purely diagnostic in the same way as a clinical interview or a CAPS or a STID. And it also doesn't tell us a person may experience PTSD symptoms and not have PTSD. At the same time, we also wanted to designate this under less of the umbrella of quote-unquote suicide risk. Very often we see, okay, this is looking at risk for suicide, which. While important, we know that people who never have thoughts or engage into behavior relating to suicide, such as a suicide attempt, are vastly different from those who think about suicide, who are vastly different from those who attempt, who also are different from those who die. And group all these individuals together really wouldn't be accurate. And to answer that question that you had asked, an article that articles that we did include often were ones that have given batteries that include diagnostic measures such as the as well as assessment of suicidal thoughts or behavior versus some of the ones we uh, excluded were ones where we couldn't fully determine if diagnosis or presence of suicidal thoughts and behaviors did occur, either because it wasn't reported in the article or we weren't able to um, acquire that from the authors.
0: Okay. Okay. That's a really important point for our listeners to um, take away from this, is this review is really specific. It was really honing in on those with a PTSD diagnosis, so not just anyone who's exposed to trauma and or may have PTSD symptoms. It was really specifically PTSD diagnosis. And also you had to be able to really identify how these studies measured suicidal thoughts and suicidal behavior. So that, I think that really, I think is helpful in explaining how you guys probably started out with 2,000 and then got down to... So let's get, let's jump to the the meat of it. What, what were your findings overall? Did you find a conclusive link between suicide and PTSD?
1: We didn't. And I think we we're a little surprised by that and also not surprised. And I'll tell you a little bit about why I mean that. I, I think it goes back to... What I was discussing earlier about anyone who's worked clinically with this population knows there's so many different factors that are often impacting these military personnel and veterans. And often it's not the the yes or no, do you have the diagnosis or not? That's that big driver for us. I think it's so often a lot of the other factors which PTSD either directly or indirectly exacerbates. And so I think one of our our big takeaways that we were really pushing this growing research uh, base as well as clinical field is that, I think it would be a little limited in scope to say, PTSD is is the driver of risk for suicide among veterans. Rather, I think what we need to think about it is, it's a portion of the pie, and we also need to think about all these other things going on at the same time.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really important. I do have to say I was you know, surprised myself to see the results be so mixed. And there was even some studies suggesting that PTSD contributed to lower risk, which I think is really surprising, though I think most suggested a higher risk. But I think you really pointed out, my next question was going to be, why do you think the findings are so mixed? And I don't know, maybe you can speak to, to that a little bit more about why we would see just so drastically different results across studies.
1: Yeah. And, and I think there's two parts to that. And I think you highlighted one of the things that we were really surprised by, which was there is actually this group of veterans and military personnel with PTSD who are actually decreased risk for suicide. And I think that's the first part I want to talk about because I don't want people to, to come away from this podcast and be like, Ryan and Nazi told me that if I have PTSD, I'm safe from suicide. That is not what we were trying to tell you. We're not trying to, to establish that as a link. Rather, I think it, it really shows the great work that the VA, community-based organizations, and the military are doing to identify those at risk for uh, PTSD and who have had trauma exposure, is often when we identify those individuals, we can get them into good care. We can get them into the evidence-based care to help them, which we know decreases risk for suicide. We aren't always doing that with everything else. We aren't always doing that with some of the other factors that are veterans the um, military personnel who are exposed to trauma experience. Additionally, I think you brought up another major point, which was this funkiness of when PTSD has a non-significant relationship to suicidal thoughts and behavior. And I think one of our kind of thoughts surrounding that is it might not purely be about the diagnosis of PTSD, but rather what drives risk within those with PTSD. We know that if you've seen one individual with PTSD, they could be drastically different than another patient with PTSD which can vary based on so many things, right? It could vary vary based on the traumas they've experienced, uh, when they experience the traumas, the amount of traumas they've experienced. It can also vary in terms of a lot of determinants of health, right? Some individuals have a lot of access to healthcare. They have a lot of uh, social capital and coping skills. Some people don't have those resources. Some people are within certain settings where they don't have insurance or they don't have access to the care easily, like rural areas. And then I think there's this added element of Within PTSD itself, we have all these different clusters, as well as things that can be impacted by those clusters. Really, I think there's this need to expand our lens beyond just the diagnosis to, is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it uh, self-blame? Is it insomnia? Is it, even beyond the individual, is it them pushing other people away or them being experiencing stressors because
0: of their PTSD? I think it's interesting because we've come a long way in the field in terms of just even understanding who goes on to develop PTSD. What are the risk factors? We know that everyone who is exposed to trauma doesn't go on to develop PTSD. There's a lot of heterogeneity in that. So I think it's the same idea, expanding that to understand who with PTSD is at risk for suicide. We know that not everyone with PTSD is going to have suicidal thoughts or engage in suicidal behavior so really growing the field and the research to be looking at who is most vulnerable and what makes people with PTSD vulnerable for engaging in suicidal behavior i think along those lines it did look like your results showed a stronger association between PTSD and suicide attempt or behavior versus suicidal ideation or death by suicide and I wonder if you can speak a little bit more to that, why you think that was.
1: Yeah, and I think you bring up a a great point there because I think that was one of the things that was a bit funky to us. Why did we have one signal and the other uh, two, we didn't see that strength of signal? I think one, one of our guesses was we just have the most limited research, surprisingly, about suicide attempt. And I think that when you delve into the research, it made a bit more sense, but I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have thought, oh, we have the least amount of research on suicide. But we actually have some really great surveillance systems for for death by suicide. And also, we have a lot of methods of screening for thoughts about suicide, right? We have the PHQ-9, which is commonly given in a lot of settings, and I think is being added even more each year, as well as some great measures like the Columbia. And we see when we add the Columbia, that's where attempts can come in However, we don't always see as many research studies adding in measures regarding suicide risk. I think part of that might be that I think there historically has been a movement to not include certain measures, unfortunately, because people didn't want to know because then they would have to engage uh, with providing care if the individual was at risk for suicide. I think there's also potentially something to be said that uh, we know that those who attempt suicide and die may intrinsically be different than those who survive. I think that when we're thinking about veterans and military personnel, we know that the number one method for death by suicide is a firearm. Very few individuals who uh, attempt using a firearm survive, and of those who do, many have uh, fairly severe injuries which impact their um, functioning. Versus if an individual is able to engage following surviving an attempt, they might be using a different method and they might inherently differ and we just don't know a lot about what might separate those and PTSD may be at play.
0: It almost sounds like the amount of research could in each of these areas PTSD and suicidal ideation versus PTSD and suicide versus PTSD and suicide attempt could either dilute the findings more or make them a little bit more consistent It sounds like that might have been playing a role in in your findings a little bit.
1: Totally. I'm a huge stats nerd, and I always believe the more we add, the more we'll regress towards the mean. And It might be that we, because if you go and read the article, which I hope you do, and I hope you like it, if not, I also hope you can tell me so we can improve our research in the future. I I think that there's just a limited number of studies, and and I personally wouldn't want to be making inferences based on the number of studies we had for attempt versus ideation and death by suicide. And at the same time, like you said, it also might be the more that we add there, the more we start to see the solidification of that that um, signal that we're seeing.
0: I think that's especially the case if we're really trying to standardize the way we're measuring these things, too. And you know, we start to, I think, another thing with the more that you have, the more it could be mixed and diluted It has to do with. We're using all kinds of different measures to look at PTSD diagnosis or suicidal ideation and um, suicide attempt. I think that also helps make things a little bit more inconclusive. I,
1: I totally agree. I know that was one of the points that we made was just like when you look at the covariates, and I think obviously one of the amazing things that has come out with of the research is these samples of thousands and sometimes hundreds and tens of thousands of people which is great because then they could do these super robust analyses with dozens of correlates and then it's difficult right when we don't have the same things in each model because then it really becomes hard to say okay was it actually this other factor although i will say i think depression was fairly consistent across most models as being this huge factor
0: Okay, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that kind of brings me to my next question. Can we talk a little bit about the clinical implications of this? So, if I'm a provider and I'm treating a veteran or a service member with PTSD, and I want to be monitoring suicide risk, or if I want to just be keeping that in mind, what am I? What are some of those other factors that are coming into play that might increase? someone's vulnerability for having suicidal thoughts or engaging in suicidal behavior, what should I be looking for paying attention to?
1: Obviously, uh, if you're working with a veteran with PTSD and there's certain comorbidities based on the review, there's quite a few, right? So we know depression, as I mentioned, is a fairly robust correlate. There's also seem to be some Good evidence for things like lower social support, as well as uh, some additional comorbidities, which I think would make sense, which would be a substance use or a bipolar disorder, where we also know from the literature have fairly robust associations to uh, suicide and suicidal thoughts. And I think my hope, and I think that we've seen this demonstrated in the last few years as there's been a big push is... Just because there's the presence of these factors doesn't mean that we should necessarily say this is an at-risk veteran and we need to hospitalize or we need to treat them any differently. In fact, my, my hope would be to really follow some of the great clinical practice guidelines that we've seen come out recently, thinking about doing robust assessment, using a screening tool initially, followed by a more comprehensive evaluation should it be necessary, and then tailoring care.
0: So what I hear you say, which is, I think, the theme theme of the study and the theme of the conversation today is that the drivers are going to vary from patient to patient, and we really want to be doing more comprehensive assessment to to look at specifically what is driving suicide risk in patients. All patients with PTSD are not going to have necessarily the same drivers, so we really want to be doing kind of more comprehensive evaluation to figure that out and then treated individually in, in each patient.
1: Exactly. I think I I, I think David Tolan had a great article that recently came out where he said we use the evidence to base our judgments, but we use our own clinical judgments as a filter to understand how we should respond. And I think that's how I really love to approach my clinical work. It's like this tells me all the different factors. And I'm the one in the room knowing all these things in mind and then utilizing that to really understand how do I navigate care in a collaborative capacity with the, the
0: patient? Approach? That's great. I really like that. I think that's a really um, nice way of explaining it. It's almost the research gives us a little bit of a signal to maybe attend, but really it is our, our great skills as clinicians to really delve into sort of, again, what's happening for that individual patient on the patient level. What do you think, just doing this research and seeing all the research that's out there, I just want to wrap up our discussion, but what do you think are the most important kind of areas for, what implications does this have for how we study PTSD and suicide in the future and what areas we really need to pay attention to and focus on?
1: I think one of the biggest takeaways I, I had when I was writing this is, I think we've seen in a lot of other fields, this big push for, we need to have a consistent battery. We need to have a consistent battery that includes these measures across all studies targeted at specific diagnoses or specific life events. And it's very intriguing to me because I think in some ways we've seen that with PTSD, in some ways we haven't. And I think in many ways that's resulted in us being in this position where we have all these different signals and and it makes it difficult for us to know which to follow, which to really attend to. And so I think the, the thing I'm hoping is that people can start to see, okay, we need to all get on the same page here. Because if we're each kind of operating in our own silo of not including uh, a consistent um, empirically supportive measure for all these different factors, we're never going to know not only the direct, but also indirect associations between trauma exposure, PTSD, and associated sequelae as they relate to suicide risk.
0: No, that, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's something we struggle with, and not just PTSD and suicide research, but just suicide research, PTSD research, depression research, whole <laughs> the whole spectrum. So I think getting on board with our With the way we're looking at these constructs and defining them and measuring them is um, a really critical critical mission just for this research in general. For folks um, who might be listening to this that are struggling with either PTSD for for veterans and service members who might be struggling with PTSD or suicidal thoughts or thinking about engaging in suicidal behavior, what do you recommend for treatment and resources?
1: my first recommendation is obviously coming in either to the va or someone in the community we have a lot of great both community-based clinics as well as individuals like cohen and road home who are doing great work outside of the va for those maybe who don't qualify or who do not want to come to the va and talking to a provider just because we have so many great treatments that have really helped a lot of people and on top of that the the biggest thing i want to say is if you start one of the treatments or you go through one of the treatments and it doesn't work, please know that doesn't mean that you're unfixable, that this is going to be like this forever. We have additional treat resources and and really to hang in there because there's a lot of great personnel across the nation who really want to help you and um, really want to help you get to the life you want to live.
0: Thank you, Robin. I really appreciate that. I just want to also add just the veterans crisis line is always available 24 um, hours a day, seven days a week. If you're a veteran or service member in crisis or your family member who's concerned about a veteran or service member and who might be in crisis, please call. It's 1-800-273-8255 and you can press one for veteran and service members. Also, like Ryan mentioned, there are, we have a number of evidence based treatments, so proven treatments for PTSD. And I really encourage um, you to talk to your providers about about these treatments and also check out the National um, Center for PTSD website. We'll have the address for that listed with the resources for this podcast. I wanna thank you all for tuning in and listening to our discussion today. Please uh, follow us and look for for more great topics on Rocky Mountain Short Takes for Suicide Prevention. Thank you, Dr. Holliday for um, joining us and sharing your great work with us today.